Again, we're kind of just, uh, we're, we're having to chunk up things that really should be put together. So uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of trying to pull back in what we've been learning. And, and uh, hopefully your brain works in such a way that you can, you can, uh, you can make some connections. There's so many things and I, I can't, I jot them down sometimes in my notebook at home and I, some of them make their way in the sermon and some of them don't, but I, I can't, there's so many connections back, even in this, just in, just in Ephesians itself, there's so many connections back into uh, the, itself the, as, as Paul is unfolding his, uh, this letter that uh, helps strengthen and help understand what's going on. And, and this morning, uh, I, I, I want us to, there's a sense here for me that um, we need to be hearing these words. We're getting down, we've been already covering some things, but we're getting down again, like I said before, to the nitty gritty stuff, right? It's not, it's not stuff that we can just theologically say, yeah, I agree with that. That's, that's where I'm at. That's what I think. It's stuff that we have to be able to look at our lives and say, is this what's inside of me or not? And we've been getting contrast. Paul is kind of going back and forth. He's saying, this is one side and this is the other. This is one side and this is the other. And there's the constant reminder of which side are you on? Now, I'm one of those people that says we should, and you're going to hear this this morning, but we should first and foremost be hearing this stuff for ourselves. So before you begin to think about other people, before you begin applying it to your neighbor or your, somebody you know, your relative, or who knows what, before you begin all that, you sh- it should be applied here first. But I also think it is effective for us as, we, as, as Paul is unfolding these things for us to think of how it helps us pray more specifically or effectively for people who are not in the light. Now, this letter, we're beginning to see more and more, and today, this morning will be no different. There's this ongoing contrast between darkness and light. So let's jump in. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 to 14. Would you follow along carefully as I read these important words? Verse 7, therefore, he says, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? Would you help me to communicate in a way that's effective? But would you help our ears to be open? And uh, the, the, the communication is, is important, Father, but honestly, what's most important is our hearts and our position before you, whether we are humbled before you, whether our ears are open to you, whether our necks are uh, soft or not stiff against you. Would you teach us this morning, as you've done week in and week out, we confess that we are difficult learners. I feel sometimes in my own life, Jesus, that I am like the man who came to you and you asked him, don't you believe? And he said right back, oh, I believe, but help my unbelief. This morning, Jesus, of your text, you want to talk to us about walking in the light. And it is our desire, as Jerry was saying, it, it's our desire to walk in the light, to be faithful. But, oh, help us to walk in that light, Father. I pray this in your name. Amen. 
So on the heels of what he, we talked about last week as he, as he began to give this contrast, he said, he, and he started this already back in chapter 4, but he, he began to say that we should be imitators of God, but, but there's something that's not an imitator of God, because to imitate God is to love and to give of yourself. Remember those two words connected together? To love and to give of yourself. That's what God is like. God loves and he gives of himself over and over and over again. So for us to claim that we are gonna be like God means we have to follow the same pattern. We love and we give. Even as we look at what God did, what Jesus did, even when the giving hurts, even when the giving seems to accomplish nothing, even when the giving is spurned, think of how many thousands and millions of people that have gone to a Christless eternity and have spurned what Jesus did for them. Did Jesus not die for them? Did Jesus not give his lifeblood for them? Did Jesus not suffer for them? Did Jesus not offer them forgiveness? And yet, we have seen through the pages of history, in fact, according to Jesus' own words, the road is broad that leads to destruction, right? Many are walking on it. So we can imitate God and love and give, and sometimes that loving and giving is spurned. And you know as well as I do. And I feel like sometimes, there's a couple of situations I am aware of in my own life where I'm like this. Where when that begins to happen, when we begin to get this, then I begin to say, fine, I'm done. Right? Maybe you don't do that. Maybe I should take the line that Jerry just took this morning. You guys probably don't do that because you're all good Christians. But I do that. Fine, I'm done. I'm done. I've given enough. I'm done. And somehow when we read this text and it says we should imitate God, and he says he loved himself as Jesus did, and he loved us, and we should love as Jesus did, if I get that correct, and give of ourselves, when did that stop? Just this morning in Sunday school, Joe pointed out to us that uh, if, we, uh, will, if we suffer, if we will die with Christ, we'll, ra- we'll be raised with him. If we endure with him, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. But if we are faithless, he will continue to be faithful because he can't deny himself. Jesus is always there. Jesus told the story of the, of the, prodigal, fa- uh, the prodigal son and the father who was waiting there for him. That's not the point of the message. But there's a, there's, a, there's a side that's imitating God and is loving and giving themselves. There's another side that wants to feed itself. And Paul used those ugly words that we didn't want to talk about last week. And it got super quiet in here. And we all realized that we're talking about things that affect us. That there's this stuff called sexual immorality. This stuff called impurity. This stuff of, of covetousness, of idolatry, of, of, of being, as, as Paul wrote to Timothy, and we talked about this morning in our Sunday school class, which is in my head, of, of being engaged in civilian affairs when we're actually supposed to be soldiers and we don't want to displease our, our commanding officer. Those, those kind of things. That, those are things that we're feeding ourselves, right? So really that's kind of the, the choice we have, right? We can, we can be feeding ourselves. We can be doing what we want to do, get what we want out of life, or we can, out of love, give of ourselves and give and give and give. One is walking in the flesh. One is walking in the spirit. One is darkness. One is light. One is imitating God. The other is imitating well, Satan or imitating our flesh or doing what comes to us because of sin. So, Paul starts off this morning by saying, we should not become partners with them, for he just ended by saying, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words, for it's because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, do not become partners with them. Remember we had all these together with words? If we've been tracking, this goes back a little ways because we haven't picked one up in a while. But Paul uses all these together with words through this letter. I didn't count them, but off the top of my head, I think we will probably have used nine or 10 of them already, have bumped into nine or 10 of them. This one actually is not a new one, but the word sumetakos is in this verse. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Partners. Sumetakos means to, be, to participate together with, to become a partner with, or to participate, to engage together. And this time, of course, it's not saying we should do this. He's saying we should not do it. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not co-participate. Do not sumetakos with these people because if you do so, you will share in their punishment. That's what he's saying. Now, he actually used this word before because he used it back in uh, verse, uh, uh, chapter 3, I think it is, verse 6. He says, this is the mystery of what God is unfolding that I'm trying to convince you of, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers. By the way, there's three together with words in this verse, but it's the third one, the one I just read. Partakers of the promise in the Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is the word sumetikos. So we are fellow heirs, we're co-heirs with the Jewish people. We are members of the same body. We're part of the same body. Susimus, I think was that word. And we are partakers, sumetakos. We are, we are partakers together of the promise that we've received in Christ Jesus. And all that really means, and you guys all know this already, all that really means is that when Jesus died and God said, if you believe in him, then you'll be saved from your sins and be right with me. All that means is that, that, that all of us have access to that. We can participate together in that. But we have to make a choice, don't we? We can't participate in both at the same time. We're either going to participate in one side. We're going to be sumetikos. We're going to be co-participants or, or, or to participate together with in the one side or in the other side. And if we do in the darkness side, we will, we will reap the, the, the benefits. They're not benefits, but reap the, 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 what's due to those people. This is, true. this is made true throughout Scripture. Fantastic story. Don't have time to go into this morning. But all in the Old Testament, remember this guy named Korah? It's weird for us, Korah is probably a girl's name usually, but Korah, K-O-R-A-H, he rebelled against Moses. Him and a couple of other uh, folks decided that why should Moses, why should Aaron and those priests be the only guys that get to make sacrifices? All of us are just as good as they are. And, and they complained against Moses, and Moses uh, wasn't sure what to do with it. He got upset. God, by the way, got even more upset than Moses did. If you go back and read that, it was one of those instances where God said, Moses, step aside. I'm going to just wipe them all out. And Moses said, no, 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 don't do that. And, but God said, I'm going to make a distinction. And in the midst of that, as uh, they all put their, they all were going to bring their sacrifice. And in the midst of that, uh, by the way, those that didn't want to, that thought they were just as good, they didn't participate. They stayed in their tents. And so the whole assembly comes to where they're at. Their families gather around their tents. Fantastic story from Numbers chapter 16. Uh, you should go back and read it. Children, if you want to know what the story is, uh, have your parents tell you and, and talk about how it fits in today's message. But this is what Moses said to them. God told him to say it. So he said to all the people of Israel, he said, depart please from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. In other words, don't have anything to do with them. Don't participate with them. God is about to make a distinction. He's about to make a distinction between whether they're right or I'm right, we're right. And again, Moses is not saying, he's not looking himself, he's doing what God is telling him to do. So it's not, this, is not a, this is not an ego thing for Moses. I hope you understand that. But he said, step away. If you're gonna join into there, you're gonna share in the same lot. If you're not, if, if, you, if, you, don't wanna, if you don't want that 
and then step away when God makes, makes this distinction. He's warning them. If you will participate, if you will co-participate with them, then you will have the same punishment, the wrath of God come. Now, you're all sitting there listening to me, I think. Does anyone know what happened? They all stepped away from the tents and God made his decision clear because what happened? Did you guys all hear that? The earth opened up and swallowed all those that were with Korah and Dathan and Abiram and swallowed them up whole and closed up over again. Can you imagine standing there that day? Can you imagine having such a vivid example of being against God and what happens when you're against God? Can you imagine so vividly seeing what would happen if you begin to mingle yourself with the things that are against God? Pretty vivid. Actually, the story's not even done. Do you know that? The story's not even done. Because as fantastic as that is, pay attention, friends. Pay very close attention. Because remember, well, let me finish my thought before I interrupt myself. As, fa as fantastic, as vivid as that example is, the next morning, the, the, the crowd, the people of Israel, wake up and they complain to Moses that he was wrong in making these people all die. Now tell me, tell me when we sometimes think, oh, if we would have seen Jesus do his miracles, we would have been in for sure. If we would see the miracles happen, we would be in for sure. You think so? There's a whole group of people that watched people get swallowed by the earth. When's the last time you saw that happen? Like someone was walking by and all of a sudden, bye-bye. Right? Doesn't happen. And yet all these people saw it, and the very next morning they started complaining. I'm telling you, this is why I said pay attention, brothers and sisters. It has to do with where our hearts are at. You could see all the, that's why when, when Lazarus, poor man Lazarus, asked uh, Abraham if he could go back and warn, sorry, I'm getting that mixed up. If the, the man that he was talking to asked if, to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers that were still living, and what, did, what, what was he told? He said it wouldn't matter. Even if someone were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't change. Which is a very cool little tie-in because what's Jesus going to do, by the way? He's going to come back from the dead, right? That's what he's really saying. He's not just talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus. But it's about where our hearts are at. You could see all kinds of fantastic things. And if your heart's not in the right place, you can go on and read that story. It's, not, again, not what the message is about. I just want to make the point that all the way through, that was from the beginning of the book, all the way through, through and through, the Bible is clear. If you will participate with those who are doing the things that bring about the wrath of God, you will suffer the same consequences. And you must make a choice. Paul made this clear at the other end of the book now. In 1 Corinthians 10, 21, he says, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake, sumetikos is that word, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't be in both sides. You have to make a choice. You are making a choice. Maybe I should put it that way. Because you, it, it's not like you have to, not like you can sort of abstain and be like, no, no. It's like you, you are making a choice. You're participating in one or the other. Now that's scary, right? That's why we wrestled this morning. Again, I, I, I happen to bring all these things that we talked about in Sunday That's why in Sunday school we wrestled with these verses that Paul talked about that all the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do, I don't want to do. Or things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I'm such a wretched man because I've got this battle going inside of me. I, I'm, I'm torn. 
And these are why Paul writes these verses. He says, don't become partners with them. But there's a key word there that I think is why we're talking about it in church this morning to a bunch of believers. Don't become. That word is genomai, which means not that, it means to become something, just like what the word says. It doesn't, so he's not talking about people that are in darkness saying, don't be in the darkness, don't participate. He's talking about believers and the incessant battle, never-ending battle that we face that's always pulling us back. Our flesh is always wanting to pull us back to become participants again with darkness. You see, he's already covered these verses that we once were there, but we're not anymore. In fact, he says it in, this, in, the, in the text we read this morning. He said, at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul's intention. Now again, I, w- I want you to hear this. This is good stuff for people who are not believers. This is, people, this is good stuff for you to share, in fact, or to pray about with people who are out there and lost in the world. But what he's primarily talking about is people who are saved, people who are in the kingdom of light, people who are, who are in light, now they're light in the Lord, to keep them from drifting back and saying, no, 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 no. All these things, you should not participate in them because you'll share in their fate. You'll share in the end result with them. You will, you, will, you will be like them. You can't do both. You're either on the Lord's side or the enemy's side. You can't do both. And you should not be pulled. You should be careful about being pulled back. So, I think... One of the most effective ways to remind us or to keep us from wanting to walk back into darkness is to recount to ourselves how it was that we came to the light to start with. If you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer, which presumably most everyone here is, there may be some that are not, but most everyone is in the light, I think it's good for us to remind ourselves of exactly how it was that we came to be in the light. Because I think it's in that reminding that we often are renewed in our desire to stay in the light and not go back to the darkness. Make sure my throat's gonna come with me here. Isaiah talked about this long before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. He picks up on this theme and we're gonna talk about light and darkness all the way through this, frame the whole sharing of the gospel in the, in the terms of light and darkness. It's good for us to be reminded, by the way. It's good for you to know these things for your own selves it's good for you to be able to communicate these things. Isaiah said, oops, I gave you my second verse. I just kind of jumped over this. I'll just keep on going. Isaiah said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. Now he's pointing forward to Jesus, right? He's look, now he's long before Jesus showed up. But he's simply reflecting on the fact that apart from Jesus, we have a whole lot of people that are walking around in darkness. How many of you this morning can acknowledge that before Jesus came into your life, you were walking around in darkness? Wow. About a third of you thought that. (laughs) Sorry. I know you don't always think you should participate. I mean, you don't always feel like you should participate necessarily, but I hope all of us are convinced Before Jesus came into my life, before the light started shining, I walked in darkness. I was a mess. Now, I was good at a lot of things. I was a pretty good kid because I'm a rules follower. I was pretty good at sports. I was pretty good at school. I was doing a lot of good things. But I was an absolute walking, arrogant, prideful person. 
I thought all the things that I was, was doing and doing well was because of me. I didn't have a lot of time for people that couldn't figure it out. Well, why not? Just, just get it done. Just do it right. Just figure it out. Just like think about it for a little bit. I argued with a lot of people. I always had to win, by the way. I was a very bad loser. I was walking in darkness. You need to know these things, right? You need to know that if there's pieces of darkness, that, that you're not the only one. Before Jesus came into my life, I walked in darkness. I thought, I was, I was exactly the description of what we read in Ephesians chapter four. I thought I knew everything. And I did not realize how much I did not know. That's where I was at. And Isaiah said that those people that are living in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And Matthew quoted it in his gospel when Jesus came. So I just want to solidify our cement. You all know this already, but I want to remind us this morning. When Jesus showed up on the scene, when God said, now the time is right, then Jesus showed up and Matthew, looking at him, said, this is what Isaiah meant when he said, People walking in darkness have seen a light. The light has shone on them. Luke picked up the same theme, that the sun is rising because, of, because Jesus has now shown up on the scene. And then Jesus, lo and behold, when he's out and about and walking around, what does he say? He looks at the people and he says, again he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So not only did Isaiah say it's gonna happen, not only did Matthew say it happened when Jesus came, when Jesus came himself, he looked at himself and said, I'm that light. The light is now here. The light is now shining. And John spent time in his gospel talking about that. He's very, you go back and you can find lots of references in the gospel of John between light and darkness. And in fact, he said it rests on all this. Light came into the world. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Darkness did not like the light. And those that wanted to continue living in darkness because they didn't want their deeds exposed, they rejected that light. But to those who would receive the light that was sent, they became sons and daughters of God, born not of the will of man, but of the Spirit. That is the description in the Gospels, and that is a moment or a point that every one of us have either already gotten to or, God willing, will someday get to by the grace of God. If it's this morning, let it be this morning. If, if, if this is not you already. But for most of us here this morning, sitting, most of you sitting here, you've had that moment when you realized one point that I am walking in darkness, but a light has shown, a light has come, that light is Jesus, and I need to receive that light. And when I do, then I, I'm transferred, I'm moved from the darkness that I used to be walking in, and I'm walking in light. That's the light. This is, this is what we need to hear, friends, so that we don't want to go back to that. Because there's always this constant pull. There's all this stuff going around us. There's the newest fancy thing that came out. There's the newest thing I can get involved in that, that, that takes my time and energy. There's the, the, the newest whatever that draws my heart away. And then I'm pulled inadvertently or inexplicably back into the darkness. And if Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't become partners. Don't go back to being partners with them. You were taken out of this. For when we've received the light, then we can go to where Peter says, he says, you are a chosen race. These are words he says about believers. We should hear them and believe them about ourselves. You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light.
Sometimes I wonder how it can be in my own life and in our lives, but in my own life, how it can be that such wonderful words as what I just read to you, that we see those things, that we can be called a chosen race. We're chosen. We can be called a royal priesthood, like royalty. We're royalty. We're royal priests, according to God, that we are a holy nation, a, a, a nation set apart, a group of people set apart for God, that we're a people that belong to the creator of the universe. And somehow we sometimes look at that and say, ah, uh, ah, uh, I got other stuff I'd rather do. The darkness calls so much, right? Uh, why, doesn't, that, doesn't that boggle your mind sometimes? How can it be that we're so pulled back to some of those things that don't match this when Jesus says, I look at you this way? Well, if we have brought ourselves to that place, again, we want to hear the words that Paul is saying to us. And I want to come to this verse because this is really the, it's the central point. It's actually the reason that this entire series was named what it was named. I mean, you've been hearing this phrase, walk as children of light the whole time. And finally, it shows up in the verse that we're reading, in the text we're reading. He's, excuse me, he says we should walk as children of light. Now, there's a parenthetical statement in verse uh, 9. And so really the phrase is, we should walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's, the, that's the, the thrust of that statement that he wants to make. We should walk. In other words, if you were moved into the light, you should live in the light. You should walk in the light. That should be where you inhabit the space. That's how you should conduct yourself and carry yourself about. Because if you were moved in the light, then stay in the light. We should be in the light as Jesus is in the light. That's what John said in his uh, letters. Walk as children of light. Move about as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's an interesting phrase, that last phrase, by the way. And it can actually be taken two ways, I think. Uh, uh, in this way, the ESV uh, translates it. The word is dukamadza, which you don't even know that, but it's, it's to test. So the, uh, you could take it this way to say that, that, we, that we should be testing or, or, or trying to discern, and that's, that's perfectly valid, right? Because we should. In fact, this is usually not the uh, position of a heart, is it? That we're trying to figure out what God wants. Most of the time I hear phrases like, well, can I get away with this? Or why is this so bad? Most of the time I hear phrases that make us think more about how much I can try to get away with, not by how much I can please the Lord. You see how it's the opposite? It's about where our heart's at again. Try to discern. Try to figure out. Like, ask yourself, do you actually ever do that? Ask yourself. What does God, what would please God in this situation? What would please God? Now you, I, maybe you're, again, maybe you're not like this. But I think some of us are, at least, and this will maybe, maybe you'll, you'll understand this. Isn't it awful how many times that that's not really the position of our, in, when we're asking these kind of questions, it's almost always because we want to do something that we're not sure we should, and we were looking for some reason for why we can still do it. Is that fair to say? Do you find yourself in that spot? Do you not want to admit it, or does it not like that for you? Why is it that so many times when we're in these places, we are looking for reasons to get away with something or to do something that we want to do, but we probably think if we would really just be honest that we think we shouldn't be doing. And that's completely backwards of this phrase, to try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, to try to figure out what the Lord wants, to please him. Now, the other way to take that phrase is because it doesn't have the, the necessarily the language that says to try, 
or to, to pursue that. It really just comes out directly stating that if we walk as children of light, we are proving what God, what's right with God, what's right according to God. We're the living example of what's right. I think the King James chooses to interpret it that way more than, than the ESV does. But, we, but by the pattern of our life, when we're walking as children, of life, or as children of light, we are proving what is pleasing to God. We are demonstrating what's pleasing to God. It's like what Jesus said when he said, let your light shine so that people may praise your Father in heaven. Like we're proving what's right by, by the way we live our lives. So I think it could be taken either way. I'm not sure exactly how Paul meant it. I guess I should put it that way. I'm sure he meant it in a specific way. Again, we see a contrast. Again, the contrast, we, we saw darkness and light. We saw imitators of God who love and give, and we saw sexual immorality and impurity and that kind of stuff. Now, this time, the contrast is here. He says, if we're walking as children of light, then the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. I was sitting at my desk this week and, and, and letting that phrase roll through my head. And again, I'm just reflecting what's happening in my own head as I'm studying the text and thinking about sharing with you. But I'm really talking about things that are going on in, in, like, that, that, that are happening with me. And I, I'm going to just be honest with you because I'm hoping it's blessing to you too. But what, it seems like such a, a, such a simple filter to filter things through, right? Such a simple like, decision-making filter. Should I do this or this? Well, what is good and right and true? What fits in the good and right and true category? That's what I should do, right? And how rarely we actually are so conscious about that. How much we, we don't just set that out there and say, well, what's good and right and true? Now, sometimes you can say there's more than one avenue that would be good and right and true. But what's good? What, what does God classify as good? What does the Bible classify as good? What does the Bible classify as right or being righteous? After all, Jesus said that that's what we should be most consumed with, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you and unto you as well, right? To be right with him and to be true, to be truthful, Again, Jesus is the truth, so uh, to be like Jesus, that's, it's just tying it all back in. The opposite of that, by the way, the other side of that is this. We should take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So there's the contrast. For if you're in the light, the fruit of light is all that's good and right and true. On the other end of the things, is the unfruitful, the unproductive, what does not bring about what we want, the works of darkness. Now, he's named a few of them. You can go read Galatians chapter 5 to read some more. You can read Colossians chapter 3 to read some more. You can read in Romans to read some more. But the, but the reality is that those works of darkness inside of us, those, those things that come out of the flesh, they bring the end results that we don't want. They bring death. They bring separation. They bring pain. They bring confusion. They're walking in darkness. Now, notice he says we should not only not take part of them. Here's the second together with word, by the way. We covered sumethikos. Here he says we should take no part. That word is sumkoinoneho. You may recognize that, uh, that, that uh, last part of that word. Uh, that word literally means to share in company with. But, of course, you may recognize the word koinonia is the word for fellowship. So you should not have fellowship together with those unfruitful works of darkness. You should not participate in them. He said that already. You should not have fellowship with them. You should not partner with them. That's what the word fellowship means. You should not share in company together with them. But notice, he doesn't just say, by the way, don't have anything to do with them. He also says, you should expose them. Did you catch that in verse 11? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, first of all, let me just make the comment. 
that he's continuing his theme of light and darkness because that's what that word expose, uh, that's, that's the, the thrust of that word. He's saying shine a light on them. You don't, just, you don't just say I don't participate with them. I shine a light on them. Now the word there, the, the Greek word for expose is the word elenko. You don't need to know it or write it down unless you want to. Elenko, which means to convict or rebuke or admonish or as I said in this case, to shine a light on something. It's a word that a lot of us don't really like, right? We don't like to being rebuked or admonished or convicted. And yet he said, not only should you not uh, take part in those things, not only should you not soon coin the neho, you should not, uh, you should not become partners or fellowship with them, but you should expose them. Now, let me make some things very clear as we finish this message off, which I have intention to do here fairly shortly. But let me make some things clear because I'm fairly certain that uh, certainly in, in sometimes in our cultural background, honestly, it's just a human thing, so I don't even need to say cultural. I'm fairly certain in our human, our humanity, our flesh, the first thing we often do with a verse like this is we say, this gives me a license to go around and point out everything that everybody else is doing wrong and be very blunt about it and very bold about it and very like this because that's what it says. I shouldn't have anything to do with it and I should expose it. I dare say it's things we struggle with in the church that we're very willing to point out what everyone else is doing wrong. Now, hear me carefully. It's not that that shouldn't be happening. It's not that we should not be exposing the areas where other people are not walking in what's good and right and true. However, the first application of these verses must be with us, in us. Think of that word conviction and rebuke and admonish. It's what God wants to do in us, first of all. And then think about what it means like that. We should not, I personally, Merlin, should have no partnership, nothing to do with the works of darkness. In fact, I should expose them. So what, what does that mean? What is that? You translate it for me. If I should have nothing to do with the works of darkness, but instead expose them, and I'm talking about personally here, what does that mean I should be doing? I should be walking as a child of light, and when I see something that's darkness in me, I should be willing to expose it. Now, what does that mean when I expose it? That means to all of you, right? That means I should be willing to confess my things to you. Kermit, what were you going to say? What's that? Share the fruit of God's work. I share the truth. Thank you. I'm having a little hard time hearing today. <laughs> share the truth of what God is doing. So the first application has to be here, right? Now, I, so let's just walk through this. I, I didn't just make this, I, I try not to just make this stuff up. I try to tell you what the Bible teaches. First of all, this word elenko, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 8, that when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, elenko, the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit is to make us aware of when we have darkness in us. He's, and the Holy Spirit's role is to shine the light, if you want to put it that way in the context of today's sermon, is to shine the light on what is not right in us, on a place that we have an association or something that we're doing that is part of the darkness, not of the light. It's his role to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And Jesus further taught that we are hypocrites if we're going to do something in somebody else that we're not willing to do in ourselves. He said, you should first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clear see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
This is why I say that the first application of walking as a child of light must be that I look at myself and say, do not participate with the works of darkness, but instead expose them. Be frank with people. Be open, be vulnerable with people and say, this is a place that darkness wants to hold, has a, wants to have a hold in my own life, in my heart. This is the place that draws me away continually. This is the thing I have to watch out for or else I'm walking right back into that darkness that he says, don't become partners with them again. Expose those things. This is, I mean, I said it last week when we got really quiet, we talked about sexual morality and all that stuff. The, the, the key is to talk about it. Why is that? Because that's exposing it. That's illuminating to someone else that this is something that's darkness in me and I don't want it. You realize that, you realize the truth of when I say that if you are not willing to expose it and leave the darkness there, that means you want it. Because that's what it says here, right? To expose it or to shine light on it is what makes it become light. That's what brings it into the light. Now, when you look at these kind of verses, however, we sometimes also flip-flop all the way around and say, well, then that means I should never try to correct anybody who's doing something wrong. You know, Jesus said, take the log out of your own, blah, 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 all that. Right? Is that, what the, is that what he means? I don't think it's what he means at all. Why would he say at the end, then, that, that's, that you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye? He's simply saying, make sure you take care of things in the right order. Make sure you are walking in the light before you try to bring someone else into the light as well. Make sure the thing you're about to point out in someone else, make sure you don't have st stuff, places where you are aware that you're walking in darkness and you're not willing to expose it. I would tell you, in fact, it is what's supposed to happen. Because Jesus also said in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Anybody want to make a guess what that word, tell him his fault is? Well, you didn't write it down, so you probably can't say it, but it's the word elenko. It's the word we've been talking about the whole time. It means to expose. Go to your brother when he sinned against you and expose what he's done. So clearly Jesus is not in the mindset that says, hey, you can't go talk to anybody about anything they're doing wrong because, you know, you got stuff wrong too. That's clearly not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, be willing to stand in front of the Holy Spirit and let it shine his light on you so that you can exp be exposed to things in you and it brings humility in you because, you know what, I'm struggling with things that pull me back to darkness too. But then when something happens to me, I go to that person alone and I shine the light there and say, this is what happened. This was not right. He goes on to say that if he acknowledges you and hears you, then you want a brother. Now there's further steps and that's not the point of the message this morning. But this is the action of what's supposed to take place. Now, this is a very personal thing, right? When you sin against me, I should be coming to you and exposing what that was. I should not be going to someone else and exposing what that was. Should I be? That's not what, that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say go talk to somebody else. He also didn't, by the way, if you follow through the text, he didn't say right away go tell the leaders of your church. He said, you should go to them first. Now, there are scenarios where this doesn't work very well, but you should go to them first and expose. And then you walk through that. Again, I, I'm not, I, this is not what the message is about. There's a further aspect, however, that according to Scripture, I believe it is this work of, of not being partners with darkness and exposing it instead that is the work of the church. It's what happens in the church. Paul wrote these words to Timothy. He said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove 
rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And of course, when you look at those three words, reprove, rebuke, exhort, the reprove word is the word elenko. That's what you should be doing. This is what should happen as a church body of believers, by the way. I think it's what the Bible points out. Now, we struggle mightily with it, don't we? We struggle with it for several reasons. One is because we're not always very good at applying it first to ourselves. I already covered that ground. One is we have a lot of pride, and we don't like when people come to us and tell us we're not doing something right. That's a really big one, just in case you were, like, wondering. That's a really big one, right? That I don't like when someone comes and tells me I'm not doing something right, but that's pride. That's pride. My reaction is to get upset or to justify myself or to show, tell me where they're wrong. By the way, if you've done your job at letting the Holy Spirit shine his light on you first, guess what? It's not that big a deal when someone comes back and says, yeah, but you're wrong. You're right. I am. I, I'm fully free to admit that. I'm, I'm, this is a place I'm struggling. I'm, I'm not surprised that you can see that. You see how that disarms immediately what, 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 what was sort of the justification? You can't tell me what, what I'm doing wrong because you're, you're right. And maybe it would have been better had I even said that to start with before, like, that it would have become public knowledge. And everybody knows already. These environments are difficult to come by because we like to protect ourselves and we are not always so good at loving people like we should. Love covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? So it's not like we're going around blabbing about what everyone does wrong. Now, by the way, there's another context, a way you can take this. Paul is addressing Timothy, who is a leader of a church. One of the things I would like to suggest to you this morning is if you take Jesus' words in Matthew 18 and you take Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4.2, I think you're getting a picture of how a lot of this should work. When you have personally been sinned against, you should go to that person and expose that and try to work that out. As a matter of course for an entire church, the leaders should be up here often reproving, rebuking, and exhorting in general. You see, when I do these kind of things, I'm not talking about any of you specifically. A few times I've had people come to me and say, do you know something about me? Or why were you saying something specific? And I'm not. I try, I, my very aim all the time, even though I sometimes could do this, I, I prayed and I literally, guys, you have to hear this. I literally do this at home when I'm preparing for sermon. And even sometimes when I walk up here, if I'm aware of something that's going on in someone's life, it is not my intention to preach at any of you individually. When I'm preaching a text, I'm in general preaching the word, being ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Guess what? If the Holy Spirit applies it to you, then you should pay attention. But it's not my, that's not. And so you see a picture of general rebu reproving and rebuking and exhorting and a picture of specific. And when it's specific, it's because it's something that happened to you. And you should go take care of it. When it's general, it should become, this is, by the way, why it's very devastating to a church if that doesn't happen from the pulpit, if the word is not being preached. Because you're losing all of that ability of that general reproof and elenco, conviction that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into individual lives. And it makes it very painful because all you're left with is you have to go individually and point out every single person and say, this is what you're doing wrong, this is what you're doing wrong, this is what you're doing wrong, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. Which doesn't feel very good, does it? You see, I, hopefully you're getting what I'm saying, but the, the, the safety that is why I 
feel the Lord has called me to preach through the text and just preach it is because I can preach it with boldness and with directness and hopefully with accuracy and the Holy Spirit will take care of, taking, of, of convicting you on things that you need to be convicted on. It's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's me honoring what I think is happening here that we should not take part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead we should expose them. What I think you all play in that, and I play as well because I'm part of the church, is a response to that to say, individually, I want to expose to my brothers and sisters the places I'm struggling so they can pray for me and care for me. Not go talk about it to other people. Not go whatever, but to pray for me. To love me. To hold me accountable. To help me see when I didn't get it right. That I will with grace and humility receive as it's given in grace and humility. Remember when I said last week that the bar is really high? This, this is the nitty gritty, rubber meets the road, pain in our hearts because we don't do it very well, bar that's really high. I can, I, there's nothing else I can tell you other than by faith we have to begin walking in it and we'll see that this is what God wants for us. But we all have to do it. Doesn't work very well if a few do and Everyone else is like, I'm not doing that. We get really excited when we talk about discipleship. I'm telling you, that is discipleship. That is corporate discipleship. That's exactly what it is. It's us exposing the stuff in us that isn't good and being willing to let people know that so they can pray for it and help me to grow. It's not glamorous, Jerry, just like what you're saying. It's not glamorous. It's hard. It's painful. Let me wrap this up. I think this is what the Lord wants to have happen. When we first heard this call, this is the last verse, I'm gonna bring it up here, the last verse of our text this morning. When we first heard this call that we should wake up, that we're sleepers, we should rise from the dead, and that Christ will shine on us, that's to us first and foremost, and when we hear that, then that light that shines through us, I think it is God's intention that it does spill out from us, and it has the same effect on others around us, that we are calling out to them, hey, you too, you wake up, don't fall asleep. Arise from the dead. That's all terms of sleep and dead or darkness, right? You, when you sleep and you close your eyes, it's dark. When you die, it's dark. Those are all darkness. Sleep. Wake up from that sleep. Rise up from that dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is what Paul says he was called to. Let me read these verses. He said it very clearly in his testimony to, uh, let's see, was, was Agrippa, I think, in, in chapter 26 of, of uh, Acts. He says that when he saw the light, when the light shone on him, when he, he was blind, he saw the light, he heard the voice, and he asked Jesus who he is, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you were persecuting, but rise and stand up for your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the, your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness and sin, forgiveness of sins and place, boy, I butchered that, I'm sorry. Let me just back up a little bit. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That had to work first in Paul as he saw his own darkness. He came to the light and that light shone through him so that he then, as he interacted with other people, that light could bring others into that same place of 
opening their eyes, seeing their darkness, and walking into the light. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your text this morning. I pray again that it will have effectively reached the hearers in ways that you are in charge of and not me. Thank you. I give you praise and glory. As we find ourselves, uh, if, we, if we have confessed the name of Jesus Christ and we have uh, been recognized, if we theologically believe we've been taken from darkness to light, we find ourselves in this place where it seems like the call of darkness is always there to bring us back, Father. We ask for your help but we recognize that you've laid in front of us even today uh, how that help should come. And God, it, it displays my own arrogance, my own pride, my own willingness, uh, unwillingness to be humbled before people. It displays that when I simply say, God, would you just keep me from, from stumbling? Keep me in the light. Keep me strong. Help me not to mess up. Instead of recognizing that you've asked me to be, expose the darkness inside of me so that it can be helped. Sure, that could mean exposing it to you. I, I want to be clear about that. And Father, I want to be willing to do that as your Holy Spirit shines that light. But as I think about the letter that Paul wrote to a group of believers, and he's addressing all of them together, and he's saying together we are being built into the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, that must mean that we are to do this as a body, as a group of believers, as the body of Christ. So to that end, I pray that you would continually help us to grow, Holy Spirit. You continually point, you shine your light on us and give us the grace, the humility, to, just to share that with our brothers and sisters in whatever ways you, you make it, make it necessary, whether it's in personal conversation, whether it's in sharing time, whether it's across the pulpit, whether, however that might look, it, it's all kinds of ways, but to be willing to expose the things that are in us that are, are drawing us and wanting to make partnerships with darkness so that we can say, that's not what I want. I want all that is good and right and true. I want to walk as a child of light. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you